Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the I'm Just Saying podcast. This is your host, Jared Dawkins here. I hope all of you out there in the world and in the sports world are doing well. I hope all of you out there are taking good care of yourselves during this pandemic and making good, smart, careful decisions. With that being said, ladies and gentlemen, we all know the NBA playoffs is continuing to take, to take shape. And we all know that we're kind of starting to get a clearer picture of what the potential Eastern Conference and Western Conference Finals matchups could be in these NBA playoffs. And I want to start out by saying with the Dallas Mavericks and the Phoenix Suns last night that I kind of I kind of expected Dallas to win game five the way that they did, but I did not expect them to win that game in the fashion in which they won it. I expected the game to be a lot closer, but I want to kind of draw a couple of similarities a little bit before I get into the other series that I'm going to talk about. Very, very quickly, last night's game between the Mavericks and the Suns reminded me of Game 5 between the Warriors and the Grizzlies. The Warriors, just like on Wednesday, had a chance to had a chance to close out the Grizzlies. Grizzlies showed urgency, and they just blasted the Warriors. The Dallas Mavericks, the Phoenix Suns had a chance to had a chance to close out Dallas on the road. Dallas showed more urgency, which is what Dallas and Memphis were supposed to do. They were supposed to show more urgency. They were supposed to put forth more effort and more dog and more want to. Because if they if both Dallas, if both Dallas and Memphis both lose those closeout games, both of those teams are going home. So, with Dallas and Memphis both winning those games at the way that they the way that they won them, it was kind of expected. So now with Dallas, you got a game seven in Phoenix, and I really think that Phoenix Phoenix kept the game close, just like Golden State kept the kept the game close with Memphis, and but then after that, Memphis just like Dallas. Started to take control of the game, took the game, took the game away, or took the game over, excuse me, and Memphis and Dallas just both blew Phoenix and Golden State's doors off. So, with that being said, I expect Phoenix in Game Seven to put their foot on Dallas's neck and end the series and move on to the West and move on to the Western Conference Finals. Speaking of the Golden State Warriors. Same thing with the Golden State Warriors. Golden State decided decided after, and by the way, if you really go back and watch this game, this game was competitive for like the maybe the first eight to nine, maybe maybe twelve minutes of of this game, maybe fifteen. This game was close. The game was competitive up until the score was twenty nine to twenty eight. After that, Memphis just blew Golden State's asses out blew their doors off and I remember Shaq said this Shaq said this after the doubleheader on Wednesday night and I was thinking the same thing when he said this he said that gold he said what Golden State's mindset was we're gonna wave the white flag we're not gonna turn the switch on Memphis y'all was supposed to take this game 
I'm paraphrasing, by the way. You're supposed to take this game. You're supposed to show more urgency. But when we get back to the Chase Center, when we get back to the Bay, oh, we're going to blow y'all out. We're going to put our foot on y'all neck, and we're going to blow your doors off. I truly believe that that's exactly what Golden State's mindset was. I've never seen Clay miss as many threes as he's missed. I've never seen... Steph turned the ball over as much as he's turned the ball over. Draymond turned the ball over a few times. Jordan Poole didn't play well. Andrew Wiggins played somewhat okay. And with Klay Thompson, we all know Klay is still trying to get back to being fully Klay Thompson. I would say at this point with Klay, he's probably maybe 85% Klay Thompson. Maybe even maybe even 90 I go 90% Clay Thompson at this point. But all of that being said, when you're down by 55 points at one point, like for Golden State to turn the ball over as much as they turned the ball over, for Memphis to just flat out, just out physical and manhandle Golden State, which is what they were supposed to do. Memphis, Memphis had Memphis is just bigger and stronger than Golden State. It's just that damn simple. So they were supposed to manhandle and out-physical the Warriors. They were supposed to. The Warriors don't have no damn size. (laughs) And here's the other thing that people need to realize about Golden State. When Golden State went to the NBA Finals from 2015 to 2019, they had Festus Azili, they had David Lee, they had JaVale McGee, they had Kevon Looney, they had size. Golden State has no damn size. So the fact that Memphis out physical Golden State and manhandled them the way that they did, they showed they showed a lot of teams around the NBA and just basketball fans in general that if we stick to who we are, which is what which is which is what they've kind of been on and off with doing for this for the for the for the main for the for mostly of this series against Golden State Memphis showed that if they stick to who they are and they play bully ball and they drive to the basket and they're aggressive and they hit threes when they're given the opportunity to and they're not just jacking them up just to try to keep up with Golden State that we can we can smash almost any we can smash almost any team we go up against or we can at least hang in we can we can at least hang in games with any team that we go up against so bottom line is so bottom line is this with golden state they didn't turn on the switch they really they really didn't give a damn about this game they really didn't care and memphis was supposed to win game 5 golden state waved the white flag and Golden State said, okay, all right, yeah, y'all got this. Y'all got this. We'll give y'all this game. Draymond was even on. You could, there was a video of Draymond dancing to, to, to what, to, to, to the Grizz, to the Grizzlies theme music in their building. Whoop that trick. Draymond was dancing in a video. He was having fun. So at the end of the day, bottom line is tonight. I expect the Golden State Warriors to come out in the Bay at the Chase Center and blow Memphis out. I expect them to do that. I expect them to turn the switch on, get up in Memphis, get physical with them, and I expect Golden State to run Memphis out of the building. Now, here's the thing. The fact that Golden State got blown out in Game 5 the way that they did, 
the fact that they the fact that they got blown out. If go if Memphis comes out in game six tonight, just like they did in game five, or somewhat similar to that, if Memphis comes out in game five and they win game six tonight, then Golden State really has a problem. Because now Golden State is really playing with fire. But like I said before, Golden State cannot let Memphis hang around in this game. They can't, they cannot let, they can't, Golden State cannot do in game six what they did in game four. They can't do that again. They cannot do that again. So, bottom line, I expect Golden State to come out tonight and blow Memphis the hell out and get them out of the way and get them out of the way as soon as possible. Because if Memphis comes out, if Golden State lets Memphis hang around in this game, and they even allow, and and Memphis even wins this game, and this goes to a game seven. Golden Golden State could be in some serious trouble, and that's that that's my thought on that. Next up, I want to talk about the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. Bottom line is this: the Boston Celtics blew a chance to win this series when they when they blew an eleven point lead. In like midway, midway through the fourth quarter, or close to midway through the fourth quarter, Boston was up ninety-eight to to eighty-seven at the eight fifteen mark of the fourth quarter. Okay, at the one forty mark of the fourth quarter, Boston was up one hundred five to ninety-nine. Giannis comes down, hits a big, big, big time three-pointer to cut the lead to three at one hundred five, one hundred two. Then, after that, Giannis goes to the free throw line with about 14 seconds left, okay? He, he misses a three, he misses a three point, he misses a, he misses a couple free throws. Not only does he misses, does that, does he miss a couple of free throws, after he misses a second free throw, Bobby Portis, who earlier, who a little bit earlier on in that quarter, missed a wide open layup that could have actually given Milwaukee the lead. He made up for that miss by getting a rebound off of Giannis's two missed late free throws. He gets the rebound over Marcus Smart, puts it back up, and hits and hits the putback to give Milwaukee the 108-107 lead. Then with eight seconds left in the game. Marcus Smart is driving back down the court. He drive. He's driving down. He's driving down the. He's driving down the baseline. Driving down the lane. And Drew Holiday blocks his shot. Blocks his shot. Okay. And then after that, Pat Connington comes down, gets fouled, makes the two free throws to put Milwaukee up one ten to one oh seven. And then this is when the game ended. They inbound the ball to Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart gets the inbound. And if you go back and you watch this play, Marcus Marcus Smart had Jason Tatum wide open down the right side of the court. Marcus Smart dribbled the ball two to three times more than he should have. He dribbled it one or two more times than he should have. If he had seen Jason Tatum open on the right on the right side of the court, if Jason Tatum, if he hits Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum probably hits that wide open three, and we're probably talking about this game going to overtime, and who knows what happens after that. But like I said before, 
Bobby Portis making up for that missed wide open wide open layup by grabbing the putback rebound off of Giannis's two missed free throws, getting the putback, putting it in, putting Milwaukee up by two. Drew Holiday blocking Marcus Smart's layup, and then Marcus Smart turning the ball over late in the game with under ten seconds left to go. That was that that was the series for the Boston Celtics. That was the series for them, and I don't see any way in the world. And this is just me. Boston could come out in Game Six tonight and just turn it on. And for and for the most part in this series, because I've seen some of this series with Boston and Milwaukee, there have been times where Boston with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they they have just been there are times there are times in this series where they've just been simply unstoppable. And it is it is awesome to watch, but at the same time, I truly believe, like I said before, I truly believe that Boston blew this series at the 8-15 mark of the fourth quarter in Game 5. They blew this series after that. And I don't see any way in my, and, and this is just me, I don't see any way Boston comes back from that. You cannot blow you cannot blow a fourth quarter like that and come out in game six and expect and expect to extend this series to a game seven. So I expect Milwaukee to come out tonight, win game six, and move on to the Eastern Conference Finals. But coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be part number four of my NFL Division Highlight Spotlight series where I'm going to be breaking down the AFC West and why it'll be a huge log jam in 2022. And also, I'm going to talk to you guys about why Tom Brady joining Fox as an analyst is a big deal. That's coming up. Stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. And welcome to part number four of my NFL Division Highlight Spotlight series, where I break down each division in the AFC and in the NFC. And at the end of my Spotlight series. I give you guys all my playoff teams for the AFC and NFC. Then I give you guys my conference championship game predictions. And then ultimately, I give you guys my Super Bowl prediction for the 2022 season. So, with that being said, I'm going to break down the AFC West. So, let's get started. I want to start with the Las Vegas Raiders. As we all know, the Las Vegas Raiders kind of went through a lot last year. John Gruden was fired because of some very, very inappropriate and racial messages over the last few years of his time with ESPN, things of that nature and with the, and with the Raiders in general, and then the Henry Ruggs situation. So the Raiders fired John Gruden, Henry Ruggs and his situation. Tragically, Henry Ruggs gets replaced and he, he gets kicked off the football team. He gets released and they, the Raiders go and they hire Rich Bisaccia who ultimately leads the Raiders to the playoffs. And as we all know, the Raiders lost in the wild card round to the eventual Super Bowl runner-ups, the Cincinnati Bengals. And so what did the Raiders do during this offseason? What did they do? Well, in free agency, the Raiders went out and they traded for one of the best wide receivers in the game in Devontae Adams. Traded for him and then signed him to a five-year deal. They went out and got Chandler Jones, one of the best pass rushers in the game. Signed him to a three-year deal to go next to Max Crosby. 
they went out and got Amir Abdullah, run, the running, uh, run, former running back, former running back of the Minnesota Vikings, and also former running back of the Detroit Lions. They went out. They went out and also got former Chiefs wide receiver Demarcus Robinson to go next to Devonte at. Devonte Adams and Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller, and then to tie and then to top it off, they went out and got Mac Hollins, former wide receiver, wide receiver of the Philadelphia Eagles and the, the Miami Dolphins. Then in the draft, what did the Raiders do to improve their offensive line? They went out and got Dylan Parham out of Memphis. They went out and added to their backfield by getting Zamir Whitehead, running back out of Georgia. And to beef up their defensive line, they went out and got Neil Farrell, defensive lineman out of LSU, and Matthew Butler, defensive lineman out of um, defensive lineman out of Tennessee. Bottom line is this: with the Las Vegas Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders went and got Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams is a, is a former college teammate of Derek Carr. They went out and got Chandler Jones to improve their pass rush, and as you guys heard, they beefed up their defensive line. For the Raiders, it's just this simple. Can the Raiders win the AFC West? They damn sure have a chance to. They got a really, really good chance to win the AFC West. Do I think Do I think they win it? No. And I don't see them winning it because of how, how log-jammed the rest of the division is, the rest of the AFC West is. But the Raiders have, have improved their roster so much. And then also, let's not forget... Let's not forget, they went out and they hired Josh McDaniels as their new head coach. Josh McDaniels is now getting a second chance to be a head coach, even though he kind of left the Indianapolis Colts at the altar. But that's neither here nor there. Okay, that's 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 neither here nor there. Josh McDaniels is getting a second job at being a head coach. He flamed out in Denver with Tim Tebow. And now he's getting another chance in the AFC West again. And I believe that the Raiders are going to be a much, much better football team this year than they were last year. To me, like I said before, I just don't see the Raiders winning the, winning the division. Even though they have the talent to, I just don't see them winning the division because of the simple fact that the, all the other teams in the AFC West, the Chargers, the, the Chiefs, and the Broncos are so talented that this division is going to be such a, such a log jam. So with the Raiders improving their roster as well as they did, they are damn sure going to be a playoff team, and they're going to be a very, very, very difficult out. I just don't see them winning the division, but they're off. Their offense is going to be really, really good. And that Raiders and that Raiders defense, I think. And then also, let's not forget, they added Rock Yassin. They added Rock Yassin to their secondary. But here's also something that the Raiders did that, that a lot of people really aren't paying that much attention to. The Raiders declined the fifth year options of Josh Jacobs, Jonathan Abram and Cleveland Farrell. Why did they do that? They did that because they want to, at some point, they probably want to move on from the Mike Mayock, John Gruden regime. Because think about it, Josh McDaniels and their new general manager, the Raiders' new general manager, didn't draft Cleveland Farrell, Josh Jacobs, and and Jonathan Abram. They didn't draft those guys. Mike Mayock and John Gruden did. So with the, with them making those moves, 
by declining all by, by declining the options of all three of those guys, that's them saying we may move on from two of the three, we may move on from one of the three, or we may move on from all of them. And it would not surprise me if they move on from Josh Jacobs. Because think about it, they still have the Raiders still have um Kenyon Drake and they just and they just drafted Zamir White. So they may move on from Josh Jacobs when this season is over. We you never ever know. They may move on from Cleveland Farrell. Why? Because they have Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. So again, we never ever know. But bottom line is this the Raiders are damn sure they're damn sure a playoff team. Absolutely a playoff team. They're gonna be a very, very they they might they may get to they may get to the to the AFC divisional round, maybe. Conference championship, not sure about that. But as far as winning the division, they're not quite there yet because of how log jam this, this AFC West is. But they're definitely a playoff team. Next up, the Los Angeles Chargers. As we all know, the Los Angeles Chargers hired Brandon Staley last offseason. Justin Herbert is now the 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 main starter for for the Las Vegas for the uh, for the Los Angeles Chargers. But the Chargers, the Chargers, the char um one of the main thing about the Chargers that really stood out was their run defense. And also the simple fact that the Chargers went for it on fourth down just it, it was almost like they went for it on fourth down without any regard of the situation that they were in as far as in-game situations. And ultimately it came back to bite the Chargers in the ass and it came back to ultimately bite them in the ass against the Raiders, who I just talked about, in the final game of the regular season. So, what did the Chargers do to improve their roster? What did they do? In free agency, they went out and got Khalil Mack, who they traded for from the Chicago Bears, to go next to Nick Bosa. Or, excuse me, to go next to, to Joey Bosa. They, they also went out and got one of the best corners in the league in J.C. Jackson. To improve their defensive line, they went out and got Austin Johnson and Sebastian Joseph Day from the Los Angeles Rams. They re-signed Mike Williams to a three-year deal. They went and they went out and got former former Rams and former Seahawks tight end Gerald Everett. Then in the draft, what did they do? They went out and improved their offensive line by getting Zion Johnson, offensive lineman out of Boston College. They went out and added to their running back room by getting Isaiah Spiller, running back out of Texas A&M. And then they to add to their offensive line even more to protect Justin Herbert because you got to protect your franchise guy. They went out and got Jamari Sawyer, offensive lineman out of Georgia. Bottom line is this with the Raiders. Oh, excuse me, with the Chargers. And, I, and I'm going to say the same thing about them that I'm saying about, that I said about the Raiders. With the Chargers, the Chargers are going to be in a very, very good position to possibly steal the division and win it. I just don't think they will be able to because they're going to be fighting with the Chiefs and with the Raiders to 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 one up to got to try to get a one up on each other in the division. This division is so log jammed that all of these teams are so talented that you really can't say, okay, this team is going to pull away, that team's going to pull away, or that team's going to pull away from these two teams, that team is going to pull away from all three of these teams. Every team in this division is so damn talented, is so damn gifted that you really cannot sit back and say, okay, one team is going to win this division. The Chargers are in the same boat as the Raiders. 
They're very, very talented. Talented. They have a damn good chance to win the division. I just don't think they will. Are they going to be a playoff team like the Raiders are? Absolutely. Winning the division, I don't. Th- I don't know if they will. I honestly don't know if they will. But with that being said, the Chargers, in my opinion, are definitely a playoff team. And as far as winning the division, I don't think that's going to happen. Winning the division, no. Playoff team, just like the Raiders, absolutely. Next up, the Kansas City Chiefs. The defending AFC West champion Kansas City Chiefs, excuse me. As we all know, the Kansas City Chiefs went to their fourth straight AFC championship game last off, last season, but they blew an 18-point lead to the Cincinnati Bengals. So what did the Chiefs do this offseason to improve their roster? What did they do? They went out and they signed former Texan safety Justin Reed. They went out. And they franchise-tagged Orlando Brown Jr., who they traded for from the Baltimore Ravens, left tackle. They went out and signed Juju Smith-Schuster, a veteran wide receiver, to replace Demarcus Robinson, who went to the Raiders. And then they also went out and signed former Green Bay Packers wide receiver Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And then in the draft, what did the Chiefs do? The Chiefs went, and to add to their secondary, they went and got Trent McDuffie, cornerback out of Washington. They also went to add to their pass rush. Because at some point, they're probably going to move on from Frank Clark. At some point, they're probably going to move on from Melvin Ingram. To improve their pass rush, they went out and got George Kaloftis. To replace Tyree Kill, who they traded to the Miami Dolphins, they went out and got Sky Moore. And to add to their safety depth, they went out out and drafted Brian Cook, safety out of Cincinnati. Bottom line is this with the Kansas City Chiefs. Can the Chiefs get back to the AFC Championship game again for the fifth year in a row? Can they host it for the fifth year in a row? In my opinion, I don't think that's going to happen. I honestly don't think that's going to happen. I, again, like I said before, I said this with the I said this with the Chargers. I said it with the Raiders. This division is so stacked that. It's going to be very, very difficult to pick a winner out of all four of these teams. It's going to be very, very, very difficult. But the Chiefs, bottom line is this with the Chiefs. I don't see the Chiefs being as explosive as they as they have been over the last few years with Tyreek Hill. I believe some of that explosiveness and creativity was mostly there because of guys like Tyreek Hill. Yes, they have Miko Hardman. Yes, they have Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Yes, they have Juju Smith-Schuster. They still have Travis Kelsey. But Tyreek Hill gave Andy Reid and, and, and Eric Bieniemy the chance to be flexible and versatile in their offense. They don't have that anymore. So are the Chiefs going to still be explosive on offense? Absolutely. But I don't believe they're going to be as explosive as they have been over the last two or three years without Tyreek Hill. I don't believe they're going to be that explosive. So do I believe the Chiefs are still going to be a playoff team? Absolutely. Absolutely. Winning the division, I'm not so sure about that. Not sure. But they're definitely going to be a playoff team. That team is too damn talented not to be a playoff team. And lastly, the Denver Broncos. As we all know, 
The Denver Broncos went out and traded for Russell Wilson after the last couple of years with Vic Fangio and Drew Locke. Denver was just absolutely going nowhere with Drew Locke. And Denver is just like Tampa Bay. They've always had the talent, but they just could not get the quarterback position straight, uh, straightened out. So what, what did Denver have to do? They had to go out and get a quarterback. They had the receivers. They had the cornerbacks. They had the defensive line with Bradley Chubb and guys like Malik Reed and Steve Weatherly. They had the running game with Javante Williams and things of that nature. But they needed the quarterback. So they went out and they got Russell Wilson. They went out and signed Randy Gregory after his contract issue with the Dallas Cowboys. They went They went out and got Kawan Williams, cornerback from the San Francisco 49ers. They went out and signed to improve their offensive line. They went out and signed former Packers offensive lineman Billy Turner, and they went out and got one of the best run stuffers in the NFL in DJ Jones from the in DJ Jones from the San Francisco 49ers. And then in the draft, what did the Broncos do? They went out and got defensive end Nick ben, Nick Bonetta, defensive end from the Oklahoma Sooners. Also, to replace Noah Fant, who they traded to Seattle to get Russell Wilson. They drafted tight end Greg Dolchich to go next to their other tight end, Albert O out of Missouri. They then to add to their cornerback depth, they went out and got they went and drafted Damari Mathis. And to add to their offensive line, they went and got Luke Wattenberg out of Washington. And to round out their defensive line, they went out and got Mac Matt Henningsen, defensive lineman out of Wisconsin. Bottom line is this with the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos are in the same boat that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were in a couple of years ago. We have all we have a lot of talent, but we need the quarterback to get over the hump. And they finally got that when they got Russell Wilson. I believe this Broncos roster is set up to win a championship. They're set up to possibly win the division and to get to a conference championship and or a Super Bowl. You got Patrick Sertan. You got Bradley Chubb, you got Randy Gregory, you got DJ Jones, you got Marcel Purell, you got Malik Reed, you got Baron Browning at the linebacker position, you got Alexander Johnson, and then and then their receivers, Jerry Judy, who's who who who's had a who who's recently had who recently had a legal issue, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, KJ Hamler, Tim Patrick, Al, uh, Albert O. You know Greg Dolchich. Denver has a hell of a roster in front of them right now. They got a damn good roster, and all they needed was Russell Wilson. And not only that, let's not forget they hired Nathaniel Hackett, formerly of the Green Bay Packers. So Denver is in position right now to definitely contend for a championship for the next three to four years with Russell Wilson. They did it they, they, when, they, when they needed a quarterback. The last time they didn't have one, they went out and got Peyton Manning. And what happened? They ended up getting to two, getting to two Super Bowls and winning one. They, got, they, they, they haven't had a quarterback since Peyton Manning. They went out and got Russell Wilson. Now they're definitely in position to get, to, to, to get back to the Super Bowl and to win it. But with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, with all of that being said, this AFC West is so logjammed, it's so damn talented, it's so damn gifted, and in my opinion, like I said earlier during this breakdown, every team in this division is so talented that you truly cannot pick a winner in this division, but I'm going to pick one out of the Raiders, Chargers, Chiefs, and Broncos. 
with the, with this division being as talented as it is and as log jammed as it's going to be this season, my AFC West winner for the 2022 season is the Denver Broncos. That's my that so so that that is my AFC West division winner for the 2022 season. It's the Denver Broncos. I love what the Broncos did, and I love what they did with their roster. Them getting Russell Wilson just put me put me over the top. Next up, I want to talk about Tom Brady. Tom Brady, as we all know, is going to be joining Fox as their as their lead football analyst. He's going to be joining Kevin Burkhardt in the booth. And the money that, that Fox is paying Tom Brady, 10 years, $375 million is unfreaking believable to me. Un, unreal. Unbelievable. But it's going to be, but Fox hiring Tom Brady, Fox bringing in Tom Brady is their way of making up for losing Joe Buck and Troy Aikman to ESPN. So it was a very, very smart move by Fox. Very, very smart move. We're going to get to hear from the GOAT. We're going to get to hear about how, how you know, what he would do with certain coverages and this thing of that nature. Or, okay, I've gone up against this linebacker. I know his tendencies. This is what I would do to him if, he, if, if this team is in this coverage. If that cornerback is sitting in a certain stance, what kind of route I would tell my receiver to adjust to when the, when the defense is in this coverage and things of that nature. It's going to be so cool to hear from Tom Brady and hear from the GOAT. And Fox is Fox is getting Fox is getting Fox got a hell of a coup by high, by going out and getting Tom Brady and pairing him with Kevin Burkhart. And Fox Fox really made up for losing Joe Buck and Troy Aikman by hiring Tom Brady. This is a big damn deal for Fox. So congratulations to them. Coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, you know what time it is. It's going to be time for me to leave you with something to think about. Stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. You know what time it is. It's time for me to leave you with something to think about. I want to talk about a specific player that has been out of the NBA playoffs now for a little bit over a month now, and that's Kevin Durant. As we all know, Kevin Durant pulled off one of the top two biggest NBA free agency moves in the history of the of that sport. Next to LeBron James leaving Cleveland to go to Miami in 2010, when Kevin Durant decided to leave Oklahoma City and sign with Steph Clay and Draymond and the Golden State Warriors in 2016. And as we all know, Golden State, after Kevin Durant signed, went to the went to the next three NBA Finals, won two of the next three championships, and Kevin Durant won back-to-back Finals MVPs. But my question, my questions to you guys is this: Number one, what if Kevin Durant had never decided to sign with the Warriors? Because think about this for a second, okay? Think about this. Think about this. Kevin Durant had other options. He could have. He could have tried to decide to find a way to get to Houston. Let's say Houston frees up cap space to try to slide Kevin Durant in with Chris Paul and James Harden. You never ever you never ever know with that. A lot of people say he could have went home to play with the Wizards. I don't think he would have went home, but then again, you never know. It's home. He could have he could have chosen to sign with the New York Knicks. You never ever know with that. He could have chosen to probably go with the Lakers. But then at that time, the Lakers, they were dysfunctional as hell and still are dysfunctional till this day. But again, 
Those are just options that I'm throwing out there to you guys just in case he does not sign with the Warriors. Then also, there's another factor that you got to think about this too. Golden State moved off of Harrison Barnes to sign Kevin Durant. Had Gold had had Kevin Durant not signed with the Warriors and they kept Harrison Barnes, do the Warriors still win two of the next three NBA championships like they originally did with Kevin Durant? Had they kept Harrison Barnes? So those are my two questions to you guys. Where does Kevin Durant go in free agency if he does not sign with the Warriors? And if the Warriors don't get KD, but they keep Harrison Barnes, do they still win two out of the next three NBA championships like they originally did with Kevin Durant? Those are my questions to you guys. What if, just think about this, what if KD would have never signed with the Golden State Warriors? That's why this is what if. Thank you for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the I'm Just Saying Podcast. This is your host, Jared Dawkins here. I hope all of you out there continue to stay safe. I hope all of you out there continue to enjoy the Western Conference and Eastern Conference semifinals, as I know I will. If you would like to continue to follow me, on, if you would like to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Instagram at quietsoul24, quietsoul, Q U. I-E-T-S-O-U-L-24. You can follow me on Facebook at Jared Dawkins, J-A-R-E-D, Dawkins, D-A-W-K-I-N-S. And if you would like to send me any questions questions that you may have on the NBA or the NFL or college basketball or, 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 or whatever the case may be, you can send them to me via email. You can send them to my email at jdawkins. 24 at yahoo.com, lowercase j, lowercase d, a w k i n s, 24, the at symbol, yahoo, y a h o o.com. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate you all. I'm out. Peace.